Before we get to today's episode, I want to share something really incredible with you. So if you've been following me for a minute, you know that I do talk a lot about helping our kids learn how to regulate their emotions. I also talk often about the fact that emotion dysregulation in younger children is developmentally appropriate and all the tools and tricks and ways that parents can help their children maneuver from emotionally dysregulated to eventually learning how to manage their emotions. There is a lot to this conversation, more to come on that, but here is what I want to share with you. There is a set of books, it's children's books that are called Team Super Crew. They are incredible. It's four books in a box set, and each book talks about a different big emotion that your child is likely experiencing. I love these books for a lot of reasons, but number one, they are so relatable for kids. They are not text heavy, which is something I really appreciate about a children's book, meaning your child will really be able to manage the language in this book and they'll be able to take it in fairly quickly. The illustrations are beautiful and they're just so fun. Each story centers around something, frustration, being brave, trying new things. And the beauty about these books is this. If you listen to me for a minute, you know I always tell parents don't try to regulate their emotions amidst the dysregulation, meaning when they're having a tantrum, that isn't the time that we want to go in and try to help them calm down or give them solutions in that moment. But we do want to work on it while they are calm. So with the Team Super Crew books, the advantage to this is that you get to look at these books with your kids while they're calm, while they're regulated, and you get to have open-ended conversations with them about this. What do you think this character is feeling? When have you felt this way? What do you think this character did to fix the problem? That's amazing. What have you done when you felt frustrated? Do you know what that means when you feel frustrated? So many different ways to use the books. I can't stop talking about them. If you've been following me on TikTok, you know that I made a whole video dedicated to Team Super Crew Books. So for more information about these, go ahead and look in my show notes. I have the link there. You absolutely want to grab these. There are four adorable books that your children and you will absolutely love. Hi, welcome to the Parenting Reframe Podcast. I am Elbiona Rakipi, your host. I'm a former teacher, a parent, currently a pediatric speech and language pathologist, and I'm a writer. I've worked with thousands of children and families throughout the last 20 years, and I have learned so much. On this podcast, we'll approach parenting from a curious place. We'll ask questions and get answers, explore new ideas, unpack the unconscious beliefs and expectations we hold on to about parenting, and reframe what it means to parent. We'll search for solutions to some of our biggest parenting challenges, set aside judgments, and find our way through this wild journey. My hope is that this podcast is a space where parents can feel seen, heard, and supported. Welcome aboard, and let's reframe together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Parenting Reframe podcast. I couldn't be more excited to share this episode with you guys this week. I have someone incredibly special on the podcast. Her name is Mickey Gardner, and she has authored an incredible book called The Guide to Co-Parenting Well. And there is more to it. So before I even get into it, I'm going to welcome Mickey. Mickey, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here and to have this conversation with you. Oh my gosh, it's such a necessary conversation and your book is so incredibly necessary. So before I kind of get away with myself, because I have three pages of notes after reading it, just things that I want to talk to you about. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what kind of brought you to the place of writing this book on co-parenting? Sure. Well, I'll keep it short and sweet so we can get to lots of those questions. Well, I'm a certified life and conscious parenting coach. I have my own podcast. I'm a one-to-one -one coach. I really concentrate on walking 
the journey with moms post-divorce and separation, learning how to co-parent in a calm, clear, and confident way, regardless of what their ex is or isn't doing. How did I get here? I mean, I think like many of us, lived experience. I needed this work. I, like everyone else, did not get married, have children to get divorced. I didn't know anyone who was divorced. I had no friends that were divorced. But in what felt like an instant, um, my marriage came to an end. Um, Well, I'll just say a halt. (laughs) (laughs) And in one night, I went from thinking everything was great to being just gutted is the only word that I can use. And it was a really long journey. Uh, We tried very hard to save the marriage, but it came to a point where I realized this just wasn't healthy for any of us, most importantly, my son. So I decided, like I do as a recovering people pleaser and recovering perfectionist and control freak, that I was going to just make this the best experience ever and that we were going to be a family and two homes and it was going to be easy and seamless. I had no idea how I was going to do this. It did not go that well. (laughs) (laughs) I went on a very long journey of a lot of mistakes and a lot of additional suffering and really struggling to be able to be there for my son, who was even in the best of situations, they're really impacted. So I came to this work that way, really needing it myself, and then realizing that there are tools, there are strategies, there is support out there that can help us navigate this process so that we can be the sort of cleanest, wholest version of us. And I believe that when we are that way and we are living in alignment, we offer our children the best option or the best possibility in life to have a parent to be an example of how to, you know, adults really well and to co-parent well. And so that's really my mission of what I do now. And I truly believe deep, deep, deep in my bones that every mom has the power, every parent, let me say that, right? Dads are not excluded here. Mm -hmm. Every parent has the power to create a harmonious environment for their children, regardless of what the other parent is doing. And so I really want to help empower so that we know that we can shift and we can make really empowered change. I love that. And it is exactly what you uh, lay out in the book, which is one of the things that I wanted to compliment you on is because I think, you know, I coach parents as well, not in the context of co-parenting or who are going through separations or divorces or maybe a change to that story of, you know, the family story. But it comes up and, you know, one of the places I kind of wanted to start was I love that you take the experience of what it is and you ask the parent to kind of first look within, mm-hmm. right? And you describe yourself in the book in this phase of your own kind of process when you were going through that divorce and you just mentioned it right now, you were, you know, like, okay, well, if co-parenting is the thing, I'm going to A plus, get an A plus in this category and I'm gonna do it perfectly. Yep. And again, that's, I think, what a lot of us do. Like, okay, mission accepted. We're going to make sure that we nail it, you know? And yeah. then it kind of taps into our control spigot where we're like, well, we've got to control everything in order for it to look good. Right. And we all know that that's just an uncontrollable thing that's, you know, at our doorstep. So you talked about your own patterning in the beginning of really being a fix-it parent. And I think this is so pertinent to so many parents, so many mothers in particular, because we sort of assume that role of, you know, something's wrong. I just have to go into solution mode. And I know when I coach parents, one of the things I talk a lot about is I teach a four-step process called PAR. It just stands for pause, acknowledge, respond, reflect. So we move out of reactivity to responding. 
And we're so quick to want to fix things. There's very little room for like stopping and acknowledging like, what is it that's coming up for us? Why do I feel like I have to jump in and fix this? Is this needing fixing, right? There is no assessment in there. So can you talk a little bit about the story about taking your son to being in that doctor's office? I think it was a holistic doctor or natu- naturopath. Nat- I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. And he kind of turns to you and says, why am I here? Like, I don't really need fixing. And I thought it was such a profound part of the book. So can you talk a little bit about what hit you in that moment, your process and what you decided to let go in that moment? Yeah, I wish it happened in that moment. But yeah, that moment looking back was one of those times where exactly as you just described. Um, I'm going to back up one second here. Mm-hmm. I write this book from the perspective for people pleasers. Yes. Right. Because I find that so many of my clients and certainly myself are people pleasers. Yeah. And I want to say that people pleasers are awesome. Yeah. We are extraordinary <laughs> humans. Everybody loves us. We are helpful. We're accommodating. We're doers. We get it done and we're loving and we're amazing. And it's being a good mom. Mm-hmm. There, however, is the shadow side, right, of people pleasing. And I wanted to mention that because in that moment in that doctor's office, when I was desperate to be able to fix my son's nervousness, his anxiety, the symptoms that he was showing, he was only four years old. Mm. And he had the weight of the world on his shoulder. It'll make me cry right now thinking about it. Mm-hmm. He had the weight of the world on his shoulders and what I couldn't do, which I did not realize in that moment when he turned to me and said, Mama, why are we here? I don't think I'm broken. Mm. And in the moment I said, oh, no, 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 no. You're not broken. Mm -hmm. Of course, you're not broken. Let's we're just going to use all the resources and we're going to do all the things. But it was later. Right. When I was able to probably a while later, in all honesty, Mm -hmm. that I was able to look back at that moment and realize what I couldn't sit with was my own discomfort, Mm -hmm. my own pain of what I had caused, my own pain of what had happened to me, all of the things. And that's what I couldn't sit with. And in not being able to sit with that and be aware of what was actually going on, I was spinning, I was controlling, I was making him feel broken when the last thing I ever wanted to do was that. Absolutely. But when we're not aware, right, we don't know. And so that's really where I wanted to write this book because there's no shame and we all are doing the best we can. But as the great Maya Angelou said, when we know better, we do better. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be like you, a person to help moms just know more, get to know themselves so that they can say, oh, I see what's happening there. Right. And I actually have so much agency to change it. Yeah. Instead of feeling this handcuffed like I did, I either have to control everyone around me. Right. And I'm going to people please the bejesus out of everybody. (laughs) Or I'm just a victim to it. And so I really sort of teeter-tottered back and forth. And that's where I saw so many of my clients doing the same thing. And I realized I'm not unique here. They're not unique here. And I really believe that having more messaging out there that's less about the divorce, less about what the other person is, less about narcissistic exes, less about that and more about what can I do today in my own life to create harmony for myself and my children that's where the conversation's at, in my opinion. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, that's perfect. And 
You're absolutely right. Like these life events, you know, I've always said parenting is really a mirror looking back at us. And I know you're a big fan of Dr. Shafali and you reference her in the book, the author of Conscious Parent and many others. And I, I love her as well. And I think it's really important to kind of look at these moments and to really identify what is coming up for me. And you said it exactly in that, you know, his discomfort was your discomfort and your sense of blame in that, like you were doing that to him is sort of, I think, how a lot of parents feel in those moments. Like this is the result of actions that we, the adults took that's unfairly placed now this burden on my child and I want to take it away so bad. So if that means that I have to immediately remove any struggle that he might be going through, um, then that's on me. That's my job. And especially that kind of ties right back into that <laughs> people pleaser piece of it too. So I just think that's going to help so many people to just reframe it that way and to really look at it that way, that the minute we're going into fix it mode, and I think so many parents who are in the middle of a divorce sort of do that. They don't look at their own things that are that they're going through, and there is an immediate desire to ensure their kids are fine through the process. And I get it. It's very well intended, and we want to sort of consider the kids, right? Mm. But not in the absence of considering ourselves and our own pain and our own grieving process and and all of those things. What I wanted to jump to, and it kind of ties in with this, you know, you talk about this idea that when we're in the position of now having to co-parent with an ex, it sort of starts with the person and you use so many great examples in the book, but you sort of talk a lot about there's this initial idea of where we just kind of blame the challenges that we're going through on the ex, right? They send me these text messages that are terrible. I get all these emails with all these terrible accusations. And it almost feels like I love I think you described it as like the pole jumping, like almost like whatever the ex dumped on the other parent is then sort of that's what their mood would then be. It was contingent on what the other person was Mm -hmm. putting on them. And you really talk about the three A's, which is awareness, agency and aligned action. So how do you help a parent shift from taking all of their energy and putting it toward the ex And then taking that back into sort of the three A's and using that in a successful way. And I should mention that in the book, you have a lot of really great prompts for people who are reading it and great exercises for them to do so that it's really an interactive book, which I absolutely love. But go ahead and kind of start there. How do we help people stop the blame game? And by the way, it's probably fair. Like, I love that you validate the fact that like, yeah, that's a really bad thing that your ex did, right? Like, we get that. But now what do we do? Yeah. So divorce is one of those things where it's a little tricky at times because, you know, something really bad did happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of times divorce never happens because of like positive reasons. There's trauma, there's betrayal, there's mistrust, there's somebody who's usually being, you know, a, you know what, and then, then the other person is like the shiny little, you know, oh, the poor you. (laughs) So society treats you a little bit like it's one side or the other, you're either the good or the bad. And when you have the divorce, it's really easy to just point all the way towards that. Like, oh, it was the divorce. Oh, it was that. Right. And so what this does is perpetuate what I think is probably divorce or otherwise, the biggest thing that we're seeing in the world right now is living in a state of reactivity. Mm. We are just reacting. I often describe it. It's like, you know, when we get triggered, Mm -hmm. we get triggered, not because of the divorce or because the ex is a jerk. We get triggered because we are a human who has some wounding that just got salt poured in it. Yes. Not because anything's gone wrong, just because we're human. But when we're not aware that we're being triggered, we just start reacting. 
And I like to describe it. I know that I'm reactive when I feel like I'm in a pinball machine. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, you're the little ball on the side and you get shot out this big tube into these bright flashing lights with all these paddles coming at you and all this music and all this scariness. And then you get beat up for a while and then you drop into a black hole and they pop you out to do it again. Mm -hmm. When I feel like that, I know that I'm reactive. So the three A's and really what we have to learn to step out of the blame game, because that only perpetuates where you are, is learning how to step out of reactivity and step into responsibility. And I define responsibility as response hyphen ability. It is your ability to respond to what is happening in front of you. This is power. This is true, not power in a over, this is power with, where you are really joining forces with the universe, with the energy, with presence saying, okay, here's where we're at. I might not like any of it, but I can either keep responding and frankly, create a lot more mess that I'm going to have to clean up later, Mm -hmm. or I can settle in and learn how to really deal with what's happening and choose my response. And that is where I want to teach more and more moms and dads how to do this. Because when we are an example of this, which is just really good adulting, we teach our children how to do it innately. And then they don't have to go through this life of reactivity like I did for 40 plus years until I became a little bit more. And don't get me wrong. I get triggered like the best of them, right? Like every day. The goal isn't to not blame or not um, react or not get triggered. It's just to notice quicker, yeah. right? It's like just to build the muscles so that you notice it, whether it's 30 seconds in, 30 minutes in, or 30 days later. All of that is good awareness. And then that starts you on the journey of being able to change. Yeah, I love that. I have a spiritual teacher that I've been working with for a couple of years now, and I love her. And one of the things she always says is like, can we make the goal how can you become a witness to your life? Like just really allow yourself to observe and to just without judgment and with just love and grace, like where can we just witness what's happening? And it's so helpful because it just takes me out of the chaos of a moment, right? Mm -hmm. Life is chaotic. It's not, we're not saying that you're going to live in a yurt somewhere and it's going to always just be peaceful. And, you know, we have busy lives. We have a lot of things to navigate. And so- Mm -hmm. It's really this idea of like zooming that camera lens out and looking at yourself and going in, like you said, now choosing. Now you're aware you're triggered. Now you get to decide what are you going to do about it? Are you going to opt for that reactive response or are you going to give yourself a minute to think about it and create pause and create space? And I think that's applicable to so many life situations, right? Not only parenting. So I think it's so beneficial to really think about, uh, and I love the way you define responsibility. And I had notes on that too. And I was like, that's the perfect thing to look at. It's like you have the ability to respond or Mm -hmm. not respond, which I think sometimes we forget, right? That's an option. It is an option to say, I am not engaging in that. So I just love that whole reframe on how we look at that. So one of the things that I loved in the book is you talk a lot about this idea of not shooting the situation. And I love this idea. And this is like life 101, right? Like I should be this. I should be here. I should have this much. I should, right? It's like the word that kind of takes us down without us even realizing it. So in the context of co-parenting, how does shooting as a verb um, get in the way? And how can we create a little more awareness around it? Yeah, well, I think it's great because once we identify that we are shooting on ourselves, we can step out of it. Yes. And it's one of those words that as soon as you hear it, 
you're like, oh, red flag, right? Like that is, <laughs> yes. that's just red flag. And we've got to understand that when we think that something should be happening, what we're really doing is we have an expectation of how the other person should be acting or shouldn't be acting, uh, what our life should or shouldn't look like. It's really just sort of putting a flashlight onto an expectation that is unmet. Yes. I think Dr. Shafali was the one that really taught me this in the training with her was expectations are really one of the most detrimental things that we do to ourselves because all it is, is this movie that's constantly playing in our head, right? Of how things should be going, what should be happening. They run in our head all the time and they're very detailed. They're very vivid, especially, and there's nobody that we love to have expectations more of than our children, right? Because Mm -hmm. we brought them into this world. We're going to show them what they should be doing. And then spouses, partners, co-parents, exes, right? All of these people, we just keep all of our expectations on. So there's your expectation on this end, but then there's reality over here. And the reality is usually very, very different. And all of our suffering lies in the middle. We like to believe that our suffering is caused by the people when really, when we're able to, again, become more aware and start to look at it, we realize I have this expectation that often might not even be achievable in any sense, given the people around us or ourselves, yet we're holding on to it with such like desperation that that's where we really have to learn to step back and say, okay, is this realistic? Do I even like that expectation? And if not, how do I want to shift to meet reality where it is? And a lot of my clients will really resist this, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're like, oh, you're just telling me to give up. No, I'm not telling you to give up. I'm telling you to just, if you're willing to step towards it with curiosity, without judgment and say like, "Hmm, what am I expecting of this situation? Do I agree with it? Don't I agree with it? What do I want to do with this? And how can I shift any direction that can kind of take my suffering out and step into more responsibility, more action that is aligned with how I want to show up, right? And so that's where I think this idea of shoulding, it's like the little red flag, as soon as it go up, let it be the firework that you realize, hmm, maybe I need to do a little bit of digging here and start to really understand what's actually happening. Yeah, my God, so much good stuff in there. Your work reminds me a lot of in the way that you write. Are you familiar with Byron Kate? Yes, of course. She's amazing. You write. So it's this idea of why do we not fall prey to our thoughts? Mm-hmm. And it, within that same vein that you're mentioning, right, your expectations. And when I learned, and it's still hard, but when I learned to be aware of my expectations and to let them go, it really became a game changer, not just in parenting, but in life. You know, it really changed so much for me. I became more flexible. I became more open to taking chances. I became less fearful. Mm -hmm. I became less controlling. Like I wrote an article for Metro Parent that just came out in January. And it is about that. Like in 2024, it kind of they asked me, like, what are some expectations that parents should have? And I said, I think I'm going to reframe it. And I'm going to say, let's talk about really analyzing those expectations and letting it go. You know, I was listening to a podcast with my friend Elise Lunin, and I think she was interviewing I think his name is Jedidea Jenkins. He wrote a really beautiful book and he said he had to learn how to interrogate his expectations. Mm -hmm. And I thought that is such a beautiful way to put it. Like, 
how do we really like examine those and really look at like, where is that coming from? And to your point, it's usually in the bucket of shoulding is where we usually those expectations came from. So once we start to dispel that and kind of move away from that, we can take some better actions that, like you said, are in alignment with what we want to create. And you talk a lot about that too, creating your piece, your own piece, and not Mm -hmm. really being reliant on it coming from, you know, somebody changing or somebody doing something differently. So, so much good stuff. And I love the idea of, I was hoping we could touch on this too, the idea of letting other people think you're wrong. Like there's such a righteousness, right, to the way we approach things. And I think this is true in parenting too. Like a lot of the parents I work with, I was just working with a couple the other night and by her own admission, she said, I overcorrect him in the moments that are escalated or tense because I just think he might not be doing it right. And this gets in the way a lot, right? Our own idea of like, this is the right way. That's the wrong way. Let me educate you on the right way. And let me make sure you also agree with my right way. Like it isn't just about being right. It's that we seek that agreement. Mm -hmm. So how can we let go of that a little bit in that context of co-parenting? And how hard is it? I mean, it's got to be so hard. So hard. And I just want to say to those moms out there who are divorced, who are shared custody, listen, People ask me all the time, when am I going to feel better about this? Mm -hmm. I don't know that you are. I've been doing this for 10 years. I still hate when my son leaves this house. Mm -hmm. I am, as all of us are, we are wired to protect, to love, and to care for our children. And when they are physically taken away from us, even if it's only for like a night, it's really, really difficult. And so I want to open up a ton of compassion and just awareness around like, it's hard. And I think the more that we can understand, have that compassion, have that openness, have that curiosity, it sort of lets us off the death grip of wanting it not to be this way. Hmm. And I think that's really important because for us to be able to have more openness and more acceptance of what is happening is what allows us to not get so controlling and wanting to control what is going on. One thing I see so often is the overcorrection. I was with a client yesterday and she was saying, it's awful because I'm not fun. The kids come to me Mm -hmm. and I have to do no screen time because he has unlimited screen time. I have to be the one that doesn't have anything fun on the dinner table because he's feeding them crap all the time. I'm the one who has to do this. And I'm sitting there going, but do you have to, Mm -hmm. or are you choosing that? Right. And it's understanding what we quote unquote have to do versus what are you choosing here? You're so focused on sort of overcorrecting from what you're unhappy about that. You're just creating a really unhappy home for yourself versus looking at, okay, can I let go of what's happening in the other house? And I do not suggest you let go of abuse. Yes. I'm not talking about anything like that. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about sort of things we can't control, screen time, how late they let them stay up, what they feed them, all of these things, you can get really angry and overcorrect, but I'm going to tell you, everyone's going to be miserable. Or you can really sit back and say, okay, who do I want to be in this situation? What kind of home do I want to create for my children? What do I believe is important? And come from that perspective, right? When we're coming at it from this is what I believe and this is what I truly want to do, 
that's a different energy than I have to do it because they're making me do it. Mm -hmm. It's just a completely different energy shift. And to me, that's really what we have to start to do in co-parenting. Hopefully the other co-parents willing to participate with you, even if they aren't setting forward an actionable plan that's intentional on purpose and based on your values. When we do that, and we're starting to come to a place where how can I create calm? How can I create collaboration? Again, even if they're not participating, but you decide what you're going to do. And then you start to reverse engineer how you're going to get there. And that's what I work with clients on is like, let's put together a step-by-step plan so that you can actually start creating the co-parenting relationship you want. And you don't have to wait for them to change. Because if you wait for them to do it, You'll be waiting a long time, right? Yeah. (laughs) So often, you know, and I'm sure you see this with clients all the time, but it's, there's obstacles and there's detours in their way. And they are the majority of the time, the same thing that gets in our way every time. It's those patterns Mm -hmm. that we keep doing. And then we're surprised. We're like, I can't believe that he did that for the 50th time today. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't believe yeah. that he sent me that email that he sends me every Tuesday. Right. Right. And I'm making light of it. Sure. It's painful when it happens. But when we can start to see it and we're like, oh, I see these patterns. OK, let me create a plan to move around it. How am I going to adjust? How am I going to not let this derail me? How am I going to still hold my peace so that I can create peace around me? That to me is where we start co-parenting really, really well. And I think the other thing I want to say really quickly here, children only need one parent Mm -hmm. who is loving, who is safe, who is supportive, who they know they can come to. And if a child gets one, I believe they're pretty lucky, right? And so I think your only job is to be that one. Let's stop worrying about what the other co-parent is doing. And let's start really investing our time and our energy to make sure that we are that for these children that we brought into the world and that we are caring for. I love that. I think that's such a beautiful way to illustrate it so that it can empower the parent who is feeling like all of their parenting choices are contingent on what the other does. I love that you're like, does it have to be? And that's exactly right. You know, I was working with a parent who was in a similar situation and kind of saying the same thing. Well, I have to be the one to do this now because the other doesn't. And this happens, by the way, even when they're not when you're not divorced. I see parents all the time who overcompensate for what they believe the other is lacking. So if somebody is too strict, in my opinion, let's say, or in that other parent's opinion of them, then they become permissive because they feel like somebody has to be the the soft place in them in the home. And then if the more strict parent sees the other parent as permissive, then they feel like they have to really beef up the strictness because someone's got to run the ship, you know. And it's interesting. It's really so rooted in just our perceptions and nothing more. And I think it's great that, you know, you're highlighting that. And I said to that parent, it's up to you, but you can continue to do what you're doing, but you will always parent from a resentful place. Mm -hmm. And your kids will feel that because you will resent the choices that your partner is making. And so as a result, you will let that then impact the way you parent. And this dance will happen back and forth, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. One of the questions I always start with, because you probably find this too, but Sometimes we're so in it, like they're so in in the sort of yeah. the storm and in the chaos of it and in the back and forth and the communications and the hurtful things that are said. And right, we know all the things and how emotionally taxing it is. 
I'll start to walk them through some patterning and some tools and they'll say, oh, but and there there is this almost this desire to hold on to the chaos. Mm-hmm. And then I'll finally say to them, you really want to think about, is it working? Is what you're holding on to that story, holding on to that thought pattern of blaming them? Is it working? Because if I'm guessing it's not because that's why you reached out to me. Right. Right. So if it's not, let's think about where can we just start to shift that dialogue a little bit? Where can we just start to make some changes? And your book really does that in a really beautiful way. It allows the person who's going through it to just really better understand themselves in that story and what they would like to change. And I think that's where we get to see the real magic happen. Let's use some examples. Let's say somebody is just right now found out that they're in the middle of or they're just about to get divorced or there's now this rug pulled out from under them feeling, where would you even tell them to start? Oh, well, just a whole lot of compassion, right? Yeah. It's really difficult. And I will say that the majority of my clients come to me when they're about a year or so out. Okay. Because the initial shock and awe of the situation is... um it really is a death. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that we talk about divorce in that setting, but there is a period of just intense sadness, grief. There's also a period of time where you just have to like figure out, okay, what am I even going to do here? How am I going to get from point A to point B to point C, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say really lean on making sure that you have the team with you, right? If it's very high conflict, you need a really good team around you. Mm -hmm. If you are doing it more on sort of collaboratively, still, right, really trying to think through and there's so many resources out there. So you are not alone. That's the one thing that I want you to know. It's kind of after that initial shock and awe has worn off that we start to kind of level a minute. And that's the place when we start to level a little bit and we get out of survival and we're not sort of in that heightened Mm -hmm. survival state. That's where we start to see like the discontent. That's where we start to see like the questioning. That's typically when people start to reach out when they're like, you know, Mickey, I got divorced. It's been a year. It was supposed to be better. Why isn't it better? Mm -hmm. Well, it's not better because we're still doing the same things, expecting a different result. But I think to your point before, we can't see the forest for the trees, not because there's anything wrong with you. That's just part of the human experience. And being able to have a coach, a therapist, somebody on your side who understands what's going on and can sort of give you the perspective. I always tell my clients, I don't know the answer for you. You have all of the answers inside of you. My job as your coach is to sit on the outside of the forest and help you identify the trees so that you can find your path out, Hmm. right? And so that to me is what we really have to understand and learn more about how am I calming my nervous system? How am I getting the emotional reaction sort of more level? How am I coming to a more present, more calm state so that I can even start That's when we can start to see perspective. We can start to understand, okay, what's going on? How do I want to take the three steps and do all of this? But when we are in either survival mode or, you know, sort of really, really, really reactive. It's hard. We've just got to learn how to calm our nervous system down. And that's sort of priority number one. And then we can start to move. So there's processes 
but I just want to give a lot of compassion and openness to it's really, really challenging. And we do have to open up some space for the grieving. I mean, everything you thought and dreamed about and believed is gone. Yeah. And there is beauty after, right? It's like the Phoenix rising from the ashes. Mm -hmm. But we have to go through that process. And I find that so many people just sort of like I did plow through it, right? If I just put my head down and I just go, I'm going to figure it out. But unfortunately, like every other universal truth, it takes us slowing down and being willing to be open, to be honest, to be willing to look at what's happening so that we can really start to choose how do I want to move forward and who do I want to be for my children and myself in this process? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Amen to all of that. I mean, it's, it's so true. And like you said, that compassion is so important. You share a lot of great tools in the book in terms of that initial sort of feeling of like, how do I even just calm myself down? Can you share just a couple of maybe your favorites of like, how do you calm your central nervous system down when something happens that feels so overwhelming? I know I um, talk a lot about this idea that a dysregulated parent can't regulate a dysregulated child. Like, right, it just doesn't work that way. So what are some ways that we could think about or just some tangible things that we could do, even if it's, I'm a big fan of breath work, but, um, and I know you mentioned it in the book too, but what Mm -hmm. are some things that you like in particular? Hitting the pause button, number one, Yeah. right? As soon as you realize you're triggered, how do you know you're triggered? You're yelling, Mm -hmm. you're crying, you're stomping around, you've been silent for two hours, you know, whatever it is in that moment. I mean, my, my son's upstairs. He laughs at me because he's like, mom, you're doing the weird breathing thing again. (laughs) But when I realize, like I've actually entered into the argument with the 13 year old boy about the sky not being blue or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Right. As soon as I find myself in it, that I have that moment of awareness. I'm like, I'll literally stop. I put my hand on my heart and I take three deep breaths in and out right? I am a huge fan of using what the world has given you, what God gave you in your breath, Yes. right? Just breathe in and then breathe out. If you do it three times and you don't feel calmer, do three more, Mm -hmm. right? But just doing that and saying to your body, because I think it was Einstein that said, you can't solve the problem with what created it. Mm. Like we cannot solve problems with our thinking, these emotional issues. We have to get into our body Like 5% of our body is our head. The rest of it, right? All of our wisdom lies in our body. So we really have to learn how to get into our body, to embody what's happening, to understand where am I feeling this? So just pausing and breathing to be able to say, you know, like, what is going on for me? Where do I feel this? How can I move forward, right? That allows us to go into, again, change. But we first and foremost just have to breathe. Another technique that I find really helpful, especially when maybe you're, you have to interact with your ex if that's difficult. I know one of my clients, we worked on her doing this as she was driving up to the house because every time that the woman opened the door, you know, the other quote unquote other woman opened the door and she had to let her children walk into it. So hard, right? Yeah, so hard. I'm telling you, it is like a whole world of hurt, right? It's one thing that would be watching your children leave you. It's another to be going into, you know, sort of this, nest of, you know, the mistress turned wife. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a challenge for sure. And, you know, so one of the things that we worked on was there's this idea of havening. 
um, which I'm sure you know about, but it's just gentle, light touch. And we do that, like I'm stroking my arm right now. I also will just grab my wrist and apply pressure or your throat. You can apply pressure like when we need to speak up. I'll just put my hand on my throat and sort of give my body permission Mm -hmm. to put the attention there. Right. Or it's just ways to ground into your body to become more aware and stay present in the moment. Right. So that you can be aware of what's going on around you. Yeah. There's different grounding exercises that I give in the book. There's so many, but, you know, they don't have to be really dramatic. And even when, you know, if you're in that interaction with your ex and they're doing that thing that drives you crazy or you tend to get really flustered about, just put your hand on your wrist and you signal to yourself, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. In this moment, I am okay. And the more that we can do that, the more confidence we have in ourselves to be able to ground ourselves and stay calm. And this is a game changer because the more that we can sort of stay calm in the chaos in little moments, we can do it more and more when our kids are having big feelings, when there's reactions going on, when that person cuts us off in traffic, right? All the things, Mm -hmm. it's just being able to go into your body and calm yourself down and create safety within the space you are in. Yeah, I love that. So helpful. And I think it's good to note in what you mentioned too, is it takes time. I mean, this is a process, Mm -hmm. right? And I think we live in a culture where we want things resolved fast Mm -hmm. and we don't like the the icky middle, right? That's, I know Brene Brown kind of calls it that second, you know, or those first times are hard, but then anytime we're stuck in that middle, it can be just as difficult, but that sometimes that's where we need to let ourselves be. By using these tools and doing it consistently over time, I mean, I can say this as somebody who does the things that you just described, it really is so impactful. I use them in so many and moments that you would think should have totally taken me out. (laughs) And I've managed to just really, Mm -hmm. you know, get my footing again and find presence. And I think it's a dedicated practice, but if you can just learn these tools and know them, they will be game changers for how you walk through life, really. So really quickly, I want to go back to what you just said about a You know, a dysregulated parent cannot support a dysregulated child. Mm-hmm. And it's just simply true, like energetically. Yeah. And one of the things that I try to remind my clients of or tell them, if you look at sound waves, if you look at someone who is yelling and screaming, the frequency is very, very high, right? Mm. It's spiked. Oftentimes we equate that to strength right? They're Mm. the strongest presence in the room. But if you look at the sound waves and the wave, you know, the energetic waves, when you are very high and escalated, it's very unstable energy, Mm -hmm. right? It's loud and it's shocking, but it's very unstable. When you are calm and grounded, it is a very low frequency. It is very powerful. That's the most powerful energy in the room. So oftentimes we think that the person who's really having the biggest display of emotion is the strongest, right, in the room, but it's the opposite. And I always say that it's so important for us to start to understand this because when we can calm ourselves down in the face of this, our children who never listen to a word we say, Mm -hmm. but watch every single thing we do, Mm -hmm. will learn, oh, okay, this is how we do this. We become the living, breathing example of what it looks like to be a human, to be an adult, right? And one who What we want to do is be the one who makes a lot of mistakes and repairs and admits faults and learns and grows and is messy and cleaned up, right? All of the things, because this is what is going to give our children the best example, again, of being an adult and a human. And so 
I understand not wanting to do this work for ourselves. And sometimes we step into it because we're willing to do it for them. Yeah. And so start there because I guarantee when we start, you'll find the love and the trust in yourself to be able to really shift. Oh, I love that. And I think it's so true. I always say kids sense and feel more than they see and hear. Absolutely. I imagine you know this better than anyone or anyone who's been through a divorce because I'm sure kids absorb and sense the shift in energy and mood and and but they can't articulate what's happening is the difference. So it is really interesting. I'm curious to know, as I was reading it, I was thinking about this. You know, we talk a lot about overreactivity, like mm-hmm. being really reactive. But do you find, because I find this as I'm working with parents, there's also a subset of people where underreactivity is really mm-hmm. prevalent, right? What do you think about that? And you talk about fight and flight, and it's almost that sense of you just notice that there's a numbness to it all. So how do you feel about that? Where does that kind of present itself? Yeah, absolutely. I think it can come from a couple of different places. Listen, we are all victims. We're all perpetrators. We're all all the things. But sometimes when we are the victim, we set up camp, right? And we might construct a home in victimhood, right? Mm, yes. <laughs> so when we're in that place, it's really easy to get stuck in a really numb, um, hopeless, there's nothing I can do. This is just how it is, right? And in those, we really do underfunction, yes. right? Yes. We're sort of like just hands off. The other place that I see it is, and I'm all for spirituality is a huge part of my own life and journey, but we can spiritually bypass, yes. right? This idea of like, well, not, you know, just got to let it go. I don't believe that God ever intended for us to just sit around going, you know, are you going to do something? No. The whole idea is that we are one with the universe, with the energy that we are co-creating with this energy, right? And so I find that oftentimes we sort of hand over all of our responsibility, essentially because we don't trust ourselves to do it. So we're like, no, I'm not going to do it, right? I'll spiritually bypass, or I'll just say, I can't do anything because the other co-parent's too difficult or any of those things. But really what it boils down to when we're over or under functioning, we don't trust ourselves to really show up. Mm -hmm. And so we're sort of going to one extreme or the other. And so I really believe that self-trust is the key. And the only way that we learn to trust ourselves more is to actually start to take action, right? To make mistakes, to learn, to grow. I think the best thing you can say to your child or your ex is, I don't know, but let's go find out. Yeah. Right. To be able to say that. But I think as we were talking about earlier, we all really or many of us just want to be right. Yeah. We want to be heard. We want to be told that people agree with us and that, you know, we're justified. But really, it's a false sense of justification. What I want to offer is that really when we're working towards creating our own peace, really deepening our relationship with ourselves and our knowledge and our presence in the world, that's when we have a really clean footprint that we leave behind because we're more present and we're more flexible. We're stronger. We're more able to engage in everything going around. And the best thing we can do is say, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. You know, (laughs) I don't know what to do, but let's figure it out and really have um, that flexibility and that willingness. Yeah. To be uh, curious. I think curiosity is one of the most underrated emotions or things in the world. I really started my journey with curiosity and I'm so grateful that I did. And it was from Brene Brown's work. Yeah. 
that's one of those qualities of like really step in and grow your muscle of curiosity. Yeah. Oh, it's another game changer. I promise you. It's such a good one. I know it's interesting that you're saying that about self-trust. I think that's so beautifully stated. And I was listening to, she's a child psychologist. I think it was Dr. Siggy. And she was saying, you know, a lot of times we assume that the opposite of anxious is calm, but the opposite of anxiousness is trust. So if we're feeling anxious about something, it's because we are not trusting either the other person, ourselves, the situation. So how do we build self-trust in the face of that anxious moment? And then we can work through it. So yeah, we always look to like, how do I calm down? But it's actually like, how do I build that trust muscle so that I can reach a place of calm? Oh, Vicky, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> Me too. So before I let you go, why don't we just um, let people know where they can find you, the work that you do. I think it's a gift to so many. So I'll let you kind of guide people to your world. I have a website and Instagram, which are both just my name, Mickey, Amazon Mary, I-K-K-I Gardner, G-A-R-D-N-E-R. Pretty simple, I hope. The book is The People Pleaser's Guide to Co-Parenting Well. You can get it anywhere books are sold online. And then I also have a podcast too, which is called Co-Parenting with Confidence, where I talk about all things co-parenting. And I just want to say that I appreciate all the work that you're doing in the world. And I admire Mm -hmm. you so much. And I'm grateful for this opportunity and for your trust with your audience. I want your audience to know you absolutely no matter what is going on, have more power and more ability to reshape your world and your children's world when we do that by creating a grounded, harmonious place and a loving place. And so it's possible and there's so many resources out there. So I just encourage you to reach out, right? There's so much. If you're thinking like, I wish someone could help me, someone can help you. And we are not meant to do this motherhood journey alone. We are not meant to co-parent alone. We're not meant to do any of it alone. And I wish I would have shortened my years of suffering had I reached out and gotten help. And so that's why I am such a huge proponent now of just get help because we need it. It's not because you're weak or you're wrong or you made a mistake or anything else. It's because you're human. That's exactly right. And the greatest thing we can do is step in and lock arms with one another so that we can really set our children up for a different world. Ah, absolutely love it. All right, Mickey, thank you so much for being here and taking the time to share with us. I know the listeners are going to absolutely love it and have so much to take away. So thank you again, everyone, for listening. Again, I will include links to Mickey's book in the show notes, her website, her Instagram, and you can get more information if you head over there. Until next time, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening right now. And what really makes my day is if you share or recommend the podcast to a friend. It is the greatest compliment. If you have not already, head on over to theparentingreframe.com where you can subscribe to get my weekly newsletter, Parenting Skimmed. 10 sentences delivered to your inbox every Thursday to help you parent and live a better life. It's for the parent who constantly told me, I just don't have time to read. Make sure to come and say hi to me on Instagram at The Parenting Reframe. My DMs are always open and I love hearing from you. Until next time, this is Albiona.